All right, hello and welcome to part two in the RailCom series titled Mid-Year Trends and Course Corrections. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, your RailCom host for today's webinar, Operational Technology Takeaways. Today's discussion centers on industry trends, market conditions, top priorities, breakthroughs, and potential opportunities as they relate to the operational environment, tenants, and corporate real estate. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. It's always better when you're an active participant and we love hearing from you. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios about our panelists. We've also posted the slide deck from part one, but this, this series has been more designed uh, for a lot more discussion and with fewer slides. So it may or may not be that valuable to you. You can decide that for yourself. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't stream pirated versions of the Barbie movie on YouTube, but apparently I've been told it's okay to wear pink, but you still have to pay attention. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event, but don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the recorded webinar later today. And I've included my email at the bottom of this page in case you're watching this as a recording and you think of questions or comments, I'll still be able to get that to our panel and see about getting that answered for you. This educational webinar is sponsored by Realcom's outstanding and loyal sponsors. Linkspring develops, manufactures, distributes, and supports edge-to-enterprise solutions that create smarter buildings, smarter equipment, and smarter applications. The company's solutions enable users to realize outcomes, efficiencies, and value from their operational data. Linkspring is at the forefront of moving buildings from smart to smarter. For more than 170 years, Corning has combined its unparalleled expertise in glass science, ceramic science, and optical physics with deep manufacturing and engineering capabilities to develop life-changing innovations and products. They are transforming the way the world connects. Carriera Bound is a suite of connected solutions and a cloud-based digital platform that enables real-time, intelligent, outcome-based results that make your building more efficient while providing occupants with the confidence and health and safety in their indoor environments. And Michael Baker International, with more than 3,000 engineers, architects, and planners and experts across nearly 100 offices in the US, Michael Baker is a leading provider of engineering and consulting services, delivering innovative solutions to complex infrastructure challenges. We are grateful for the contributions of these technical partners to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. Be sure to include them in your vendor evaluation and selection process. Now, without further ado, let me introduce our moderator for today's discussion. Tom Shercliffe is co-founder of Intelligent Buildings, a smart real estate service firm founded in 2004. Intelligent Buildings provide services for technology strategy, vendor risk management, and portfolio decarbonization. Welcome, Tom. Well, thanks, Chuck. I wasn't clear whether you are or not going to the Barbie movie, but if you want to 
we can clear that up at the we end. We can talk about that after. So uh, do appreciate it. Enjoy your uh, webinar, and I'll join you at the end. Thanks a bunch. And uh, what a what a timely topic, of course. I think we could all write a book on course corrections uh, this year. There's obviously hybrid work and what that's doing to office, but also other use types, hospitality, multifamily, retail. Uh, there's talk of recession. Um, AI all of a sudden is in our face. Is it a magic pill or a poison pill? Uh, cybersecurity becoming a new normal. Physical security a constant. And then ESG and decarbonization, uh, which is a formal commitment for most organizations as well as regulatory requirement in multiple major cities. So, and the clock is ticking on those deadlines. Um, and then of course, uh, the cost of and availability of capital is, is a big deal. And a lot of these things have been have come up or been compressed significantly uh, this year. And, and that's, uh, I like this mid-year course correction again, because if you went to Realcom, and I hope you did, that's why you should go to Realcom, is because just, just a, a few weeks ago, you could really tell at Realcom uh, that uh, there was a sense of uh, decision makers wanting to buy outcomes and not technology per se. They're basically saying technology to what end? Am I buying results or am I just buying component parts? Uh, a lot of that due to the uh, due to the uh, course correction issues that we just talked about. So, um, with that, I really want to uh, bring on our panelists now, and what we're going to do is kind of go down in sequence and let them introduce themselves, uh, and then have a few thoughts uh, initially one on one about what they are uh, being most influenced or worried about in this in this mid year. Uh, course correction. So I'm going to jump in with uh, Ujani Dasgupta from Merck. And uh, Ujani, if you could just tell us uh, your title and your role, and then just we can talk a little bit about what's really on your mind for, for course corrections or impacts this year. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And hi, everyone. My name is Ujani Dasgupta. I'm with Merck, uh, the pharmaceutical organization, and I lead the smart building program within Merck. So what that means is that um, I create the strategy for smart building, because as we all know, smart building uh, means many different things to many different people. So my job is to make sure that the strategy for smart buildings is um, is, is fit for Merck as a organi global organization. Um, and then I, uh, the fun part is then, then I get to uh, find the right technologies pilot them and then implement at the, um, them at scale across the various sites. And really uh, what these technologies are uh, mostly focused on enhancing the employee experience, the visitor experience, um, as well as increasing um, operational efficiency across our organization. So that's a little and bit. So no, no, that's fantastic. And so were you saying that that uh, I heard a lot of experience and, and that kind of thing? Is that is that maybe just a little bit about your hybrid work uh, point of view or your company and how that relates to the building itself? Yeah, so hybrid work is, uh, you know, uh, we've been hearing that terminology more and more and more. And every organization, I think, has been trying to figure out what it really means for them. Uh, again, it's not, doesn't mean the same for every organization, but for Merck, uh, at least for the US sites, um, we, uh, we, are, we have to be on site three days a week. Um, so from, um, from, our, from my standpoint, it's really about uh, finding the right uh, technology solutions 
to um, to to ease that transition uh, from perhaps you know lots of people were working from home and haven't been really back to the office, or there are actually lots of people who were hired during COVID and have never been in in a mark site or maybe even any office uh, environment because they were hired right out of college. So you know it's it's a big change and a big transition. Um, and in our case, we also have a lot of people who have been with the organization, um, you know, many, many years, perhaps even decades, but they worked out of a different site and now they're coming into a brand new site. Um, so it's a lot of change happening and we want to use technology the right way to ease that transition back to the, the new ways of working. So uh, can you tell me how different is it uh, mid-year from the beginning of the year? Is that is this just now coming online and it's really in the middle of it? Yeah, so um, we've been talking about hybrid work and it's been sort of, um, you know, kind of it, it's varies from country to country. But speaking for U.S., it has really kind of been depending on your job or you go in as you need to. Uh, but now there is a, a formal um, announcement to come back uh, as of you know, after Labor Day um, to to really make sure that you're on site three days a week, um, and so yeah, that that's where you know we have a lot of focus going into making sure that um, anxious as people are, that they feel like you know we're doing everything in our power to make that transition easy. I want to ask you about the different. Uh types of employees you described, some that have never been in the office, which is, I forget about this, like, wow. Some, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And then also the ones that have been and uh, or have gotten used to it and just the, the way you treat those. But br briefly, I wanted to let the audience know, uh, just to just to remind, we know this is not a different topic. Uh, you know, hybrid work, we've been talking about it for, for years. Uh, what we're really focusing on is what has changed now and what we're seeing with you, Janie, and and many others that I'm talking to, it, it, it is changing now. Policies are becoming requirements and, and we're really right in the middle of it. And the building's playing obviously a very, very important role. So do you have thoughts on, on are you, how are you looking at those multiple groups differently? Never been to the office and young and need, need to learn a lot of things, uh, you know, uh, had been in the office all the time, but now got used to being out, some that want to be back. How are you, how are you dealing with the differences there? Yeah, so a lot of communication and change management. Um, I cannot stress how important change management is. It's really kind of recognizing that it's not a one-size-fits-all. But again, from my perspective, um, you know, I'm interested in the technology and the digital component. Uh, we are thinking through very clearly these different groups of people and what are their pain points and what are their needs and how can we, with digital solutions, um, you know, help them out. So it might be something like a workplace app that, uh, you know, it's just, it's just one mobile tool to go to to tell you, you know, what your day looks like. So sort of like how you wake up and you say, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, you know, tell me, tell me what my day looks like, what the weather is, what the traffic is. We want to give similar experiences through things like a workplace app, um, providing, um, you know, digital signage all over so that, you know, especially for large campuses, having information at your fingertips, um, you know, whether it is um, being able to order food quickly online or being able to see where I might be able to find a available desk uh, or where I might be able to park, um, giving that, that information so individuals have choices to make, but with information, that's where we come from. That's what's critical to us. 
And that starts, uh, maybe to state the obvious, does that start with the parking control and the access control and the elevate and getting getting all the way the whole frictionless entry concept? Yes, absolutely. So it's a whole day in the life of, and we think about it. You mentioned um, thinking about outcomes and results, and that's exactly what we, it's not technology for the sake of technology. It's really thinking through uh, at a persona level, like the, you have all of these different personas uh, in a large organization, in any organization, and thinking through a day in the life of, thinking through from that, the moment they wake up to the moment that they are able to go back home, what can we do through technology to um, to ease it uh, through? This is very, one quick question, then we'll we'll move on and see at the end. But wh what about the um, how do you view this in terms of the things you can control versus say if you're leasing space in a building you don't own? And maybe br briefly, is that what's the mix of owned buildings versus where you lease? Yeah, so it's um. It, it, it does depend on, I think, a little bit side by side. So we have a lot of WeWork facilities as an example. So that is a completely different scenario as opposed to a regularly leased um, uh, and then owned. Of course, we have a lot more control over what we can do, but it depends on the technology as well. So if it's an employee app so that you can use it no matter what kind of site you are. But if it is something like a single pane of glass, like a unified user interface, uh, and you do not own the BMS, the landlord does, then that plays a factor. So uh, again, we, we think about the outcome and we think about uh, the readiness of a build of a site to be able to use that technology. Um, and so my job is to make sure we do all of that thinking upfront so that we do not roll out something and then realize, oh, wait a minute, um, this is not does not fit the site. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks. And there's a lot more to talk about, which we'll do at the end. And I appreciate that. And uh, we're going to bring on uh, Joe Brown now. And Eugenie, you're in luck because Joe is the kind of person that can create those ready buildings for you uh, that you'll slide right into in your with your preferences. Right, Joe? Great. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Um... I guess I'll start introducing myself, Joe Brown. I'm a VP of Building Technology and recently added to my title uh, Decarbonization as well. Um, I'm responsible for technology, uh, innovation, resiliency across our portfolio uh, at Kingset Capital. Kingset Capital, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, Canadian private equity uh, real estate company. We have uh, over 16 billion in assets that, that we manage uh, in all of the spaces, office, res, retail, industrial, and, and a little bit of hospitality. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer by background. I started out in consulting and commissioning, and then I, uh, I somehow found myself on the ownership side, and I've, I've been there for around 10 to 15 years, uh, uh, trying to um, make our buildings better uh, in various companies that I've worked for. And and Joe, what are the you know it's obviously a crazy year with the interest rates and uh, you know valuation and all these kind of things. Are are those top of mind for you? What are the few things in the mid year you're really needing to wrestle with and course correct on? Yeah, capital is definitely driving things. Uh, we're kind of in a market where due to the cost of capital. Uh, it's, it's need to happen projects that are getting funded right now, not the, the nice to happen projects. And, and specifically in technology, that uh, that equates to, we're looking at things that have proven track credit records and paybacks, um, primarily, that's an easy sell. If, if your technology costs 
or makes more money and, and improves my bottom line than it costs to implement, then then that's a, a great win and, and makes my books look better. Um, on the flip side of that, we're in more challenging markets. So if we're looking at something that that makes us stand out in, in say, an office uh, building versus versus our competitor down the street, that is, is something that, that will, we believe will ultimately make us uh, more profitable and, and make our business better. Um, on, on the zero carbon side, that's something that, that seems to be getting greenlit across the board as well, um, given how big of a topic it is right now. And we've taken the approach that we need to knock off some of these uh, decarbonization initiatives when it makes sense from a capital perspective. I can't, I can't replace a boiler this year and then uh, decarbonize it next year. So, so these opportunities come up uh, on the capital cycle for a lot of big equipment um, and and even even technology solutions. And and you have to knock them off when when they uh, the opportunities present themselves. Very interesting. So uh, obviously you're very attuned to the cost and availability of capital, but yet you're saying that the the decarbonization is being viewed as um, uh, something that needs to be dealt with because of the uh, opportunity of maybe refresh cycles or whatever, do it right now because it's, is that because of the long-term impact? Uh, long-term impact. And, and the, the nice part about uh, some of these initiatives is the available um, capital in other, through government programs and whatnot. Up in Canada, we have a infrastructure fund in the U.S. You guys have uh, some some available capital that, that, that helps make these things make more sense. Uh, we're not necessarily going to investors and saying, hey, hey can you fork out 100 million bucks to, to fix up my portfolio? We can get that uh, funded in a low interest uh, scenario through through different uh, government programs that are uh, pushing these things through. Helps us come up with capital that might be harder to get and uh, and helps us meet our goals that, that, that I think is important uh, for everybody to maintain. So it sounds like you're experiencing the, what we saw at RealCom and Eugenia led to a little bit, said, spoke to a little bit, and that is you need you need results with the money. It's that they got to be decarbonization, ROI, uh, tenant experience. You're you're really focused on the outcome. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think uh, in what Eugenia was talking about in, in uh, the hybrid workplace it has presented some some opportunities that have helped um increase those results uh, potentials uh, we look at things like in the past uh, having having your assistants be able to turn down to you know capture that uh, friday when maybe 20 percent of the people leave the office early now we're in a situation where we have floors that may only be occupied by c-suite executives and other floors that are in two days a week floors that are in three days a week floors that are there five days a week Capturing and, and, and making your systems be able to adapt to those variable conditions has opportunity to drive great paybacks. Uh, now we're talking about turning down systems 40, 50, 60%. And, and those have real savings and they can drive um, the business case to, to deploy some of the uh, smart technology that uh, uh, allows us to get to those savings. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen to you talk about this. I, I kind of like where the smart building industry is and even the un, you know, unfortunate reason we have to be so focused now. But it's really a much more repeatable, scalable uh, mode to be looking at technology in driving outcomes, period. Not not experimenting, not, not you know, tinkering. Uh, and by the way, that's a great thing to do in the beginning of an industry. Uh, but it sounds like you're seeing that it's mature enough now you can really focus more on the financial because there's an abundance of available technology. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think I think the we've developed enough as an industry, a smart industry that that there are solutions out there try tested and true and even when when they're maybe not um, as 
is established. Um, I think the ideas uh, and the fact that, that these companies have um, other companies have gone there. So um, it, it, it just gives gives you the firepower and, and the necessary um, information to go out and say, okay, I'm going to try this. This is the expected outcome. Yeah. I don't have a, a, a business case or a white paper that says uh, it's been rolled out in a million square feet, but risk versus return, especially when you're talking about like maybe an SA software as a service, uh, low capital input, potential high return. That's the kind of stuff that we can look at and, and uh, really drive some operational savings out of our buildings. Good. One more question before we get to the next uh, panelist, uh, even though I know it's a lot longer conversation, but if you just have a reaction or a comment to um, all of the t the various technologies typically need to be built into workflow uh, and and in real buildings, right? With real contractors and facility managers and those kind of thing. How are you wrestling with a technology that 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 looks good on paper and should work if it's managed properly and there's workflow around it? How do you do that in joint ventures and different facility managers and different contractors and so forth? Yeah, it's it's definitely a work in progress. As like I, I don't know whether I mentioned, we are at an asset management level, so we we own the buildings and we work with property managers to roll up this technology. So um, I'll, I'll pilot it in buildings where I have my largest control over. Uh, like I'm sitting in now, uh, office complex is 2.4 million square feet. Yeah, it's managed by a third party uh, vendor, but it's its own animal. Um, I don't have to worry about uh, pushing around uh, the corporate standards of, of the um, company running the building because we kind of do our own thing here anyway. So we have the ability to, to pilot and implement those workflows on certain properties. And then once they've kind of been proven out, the hope is that the property management company that, that is using them will roll them out, not only on our, our properties, but across their entire portfolio. But if it's a success and it's scalable, then it makes sense to scale it across their, their work. No, that's a, I appreciate that. I think that's an under-discussed topic because uh, people like you that are experts can obviously identify something that's going to work and could be effective, but you're not you're not day to day. So I think sh as we go forward, sharing that more and more for folks to give them the sense of how it can scale will be helpful. Joe, thanks a bunch. Uh, really appreciate that, and we we'll look forward to you talking to you at the roundtable at the end. And uh, just for the audience, just to kind of note here that hybrid work, uh, decarbonization and capital uh, costs and availability so far are the, the, the mid-year uh, topics that we've heard. And uh, next we're gonna play a brief sponsor video and I'll introduce the panelists after that. LinkSpring's Edge to Enterprise for Enterprise and Multi-Sites is a turnkey smart building solution that connects, accesses, and translates operational and facility data from devices and equipment into actionable information. Information that can save energy, increase efficiency, and reduce operating costs while maintaining a higher level of comfort for occupants. The Edge to Enterprise solution consists of hardware and software combined with engineering, deployment, and professional services. It's everything you need to deploy and experience the value of a smart facility enterprise, including connectivity, integration, interoperability, automation, command and control, data access and normalization, analytics, and cloud services. Okay, great. And with that, I'm going to bring on a smart building OG and uh, Mark Peacock. And Mark, thanks for being here. And I was so excited about your video. I stayed on my video watching it. So uh, anyway, um, uh, you're muted. But if you can, when you come on, uh, I'd like for you to talk about your 
job title and your role and you know mark is from from the solution provider side so now you're going to hear sort of what he's hearing and sensing for these from some of those issues or the mid-year uh, course correction necessities go ahead mark thanks tom and hello everyone uh, my name is mark peacock i'm the vice president Chief Marketing Communication Officer for Linkspring, as Tom noted, a solution provider. I'm also the found, a founder and board member of Project Haystack, some data standards organization. And you know, as an as a company, Linkspring, we've been doing this for 20 plus years now. And one of the things that I think is extremely prevalent, we've seen over the last 20 years that I've been doing this. But more importantly is there's one thing that is continued, which is change. Change is constant. And there's no doubt that we're in a period where we are experiencing change, uh, lots of drivers for that change. But in the, the many years that, uh, that I've been in doing this, we're in the most transformative, uh, compelling period that I've experienced or witnessed. So I just want to share a couple things. So the, there's lots of things that I'm seeing, and, and I'll touch on them very briefly uh, because of the time, and we can hopefully chat a little bit later, is the biggest thing is the change in the conversation, first and foremost. And where I'm seeing this change is that it's solely not about the operational side being operational-centric. It's now incorporating, and I was glad to see the previous uh, presenters say this as well, it's now bringing in the business and the economic-centric part of this, the outcomes, the specific outcomes. And with respect to you know, business outcomes, it's things like cost reduction. It's things like trying to balance CapEx and OpEx. It's helping to try to plan that capital planning. And a couple other areas that is kind of new to the conversation is maintaining the value of an existing building asset, which I think from a uh, business outcome is key and uh, a priority for all. And also ensuring building res resiliency, I think that's important. Uh, just a couple other things that you know that we are working with clients and we're seeing is don't uh, start thinking about electrification and grid interactive buildings. I think that's uh, something that we're starting to see. Uh, we talked about uh, hybrid before, and I like to phrase it as we're in a structured hybrid environment now. So I think most companies at least uh, have adopted some kind of structured hybrid model usually being the three-day work in the office is seems to be uh the thing right now uh don't forget data data is still the king and we're seeing a shift uh not only from the cloud but all uh embracing ip technology is now entering the smart space so tom let me turn it back over to you yeah, what's what I liked about that, Mark, and it's really hadn't been said quite like that, is the change itself. Uh, we've talked about hybrid and 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 decarbonization and capital constraints, and you mentioned valuation, which I want to ask Joe later about about its impact, or is that kind of behind the curtain? And um, 
but the constant change and that's you know i might add to that and you and i've talked a lot before change is one thing but real estate is by nature fragmented so yep. you've got you know different contractors and joint ventures and geographies and ownership structures and it goes on and on and when you throw a bunch of change into a fragmented environment it's it's uh it makes it a little more chaotic and so mark what are you what are you hearing let's say like i asked you janie uh you know let's say halfway through the year differently from from your customers than you were you know say at christmas time was it was it uh or, you know now that now that these things are settling in and she mentioned uh, merck for one example they are now implementing return to work and there's you know these things are going on so are, are you getting different requests or complaints or suggestions in mid-year now uh yeah, in and around those topics that uh, I kind of touched on is I is is I would say that you know technology is here. It's proven as um, what's been said. Joe Joe said it very well, and um, it's how can that tech how can this technology not only help in the operational side, the typical stuff, running my building better, uh, you know, more efficient, uh, meeting a zero, net zero. ESG type of uh, goals, but it's that business outcome is economic. In other words, you cannot have a discussion today, in my opinion, without bringing in that business, the economics aside, and how technology, how solutions play a key role in delivering those. And I think part of on the building owner operator side, that should be part of your discussions as you figure out your strategy is, all right, operational, we can figure that out. But from the business side, what do we want to get out of this? What outcomes, what metrics are we going to judge everything on? One last real quick question, then uh -huh. we're going to jump to the next panel. And that is, um, uh, outcome seems to be a universal uh, uh, situation in our conversation so far, but are you also, or your partners also getting pushed on price? Let's just suppose somebody agrees with the outcome mm -hmm. and they say, great, it all makes sense to me, but it, then is there a further price grinding after that just because of what's going on? Good question. And I would say no, because ultimately if the value is there and the value is presented and expectations are set, then, uh, Price, you know, sure, somebody's going to always bring up price, but uh, directly, no, we're not seeing that. No, and I appreciate that. I mean, uh, you don't want the tail wagging the dog, right? I always say, you know, people focus on ROI rightly, uh, mm -hmm. but if you can change the cost structure of the way the whole building does business, that has a lot more financial impact. So I appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, thanks, uh, Mark. I we'll see you at the right. round table. We're going to jump into another brief sponsor video. Okay. 
Thanks to uh, Corning for that. And Corning has graciously allowed a substitute speaker today, which it was a delight during our prep to get to know Shannon McCallum. Uh, and I'll let her tell you what she does for a living and, and what her, um, her issues are focused on mid-year. Thank you so much, Tom, and it's great to be here. My role is Vice President of Hotel Operations at Resorts World, which is the newest property on the Las Vegas Strip in over a decade. I started my career over 35 years ago in Canada and made my way through to the United States. And I've been in Las Vegas now for 13 years. This is my third Vice President role on the Las Vegas Strip. And over the years, I've seen quite a lot of change. And, you know, we've learned um, through different events or as technology has progressed, really about the guest experience and how we can make it more efficient. And with Corning, our partner, we were able to build a very robust infrastructure for Resorts World because the plan was to make it a different experience for our guests and to be very technology forward. And in order to do that, we needed a very, very strong infrastructure to support us. And um, and so you obviously experience, uh, it, it, you, we talked about the hybrid work, but, but even that boiled down to the experience of the person occupying the space, and that's uh, huge for you. Do you, and this may be an obvious question as well, but I want to make sure the audience knows, do you control everything about your property? Uh, there's not a sort of a landlord type uh, interface. You are in control of all the operational technology as well. You know, at, at Resorts World, um, Genting is our parent company that owns our property. We consist of three different products, which are our partnered with Hilton. We have the Hilton Las Vegas, Conrad Las Vegas, and Crawford's Las Vegas, all under the Resorts World campus. Uh, so it is a partnership. However, we make the decisions at the property. We do have some technology which is in partnership with Hilton. Um, and then we also do have separate technology that really makes us a differentiator in our market in Las Vegas. So our Again, what you do for a living, I imagine uh, uh, efficiency, experience, security, um, sustainability. What are your what are your top two or three uh, topics there? Is it all of the above? Well, it could be all of the above, all of the above, but particularly the guest experience and the employee experience. Uh, you know, we aren't a hotel without having a standout experience for our guests. And in the last four years, we've seen a big change in what the guests are looking for. With the advent and uh, passing of COVID, it's really about choosing your guest experience. And, and some of our guests are still eager to come to the front desk and have those conversations with our, our team if they are not familiar with, with the property or the city. However, there are many guests that want to bypass that and having a digital check-in and having a digital concierge experience can really give those options to our guests. At one point, Lecture experience was all about hand-holding the guests from the start to the finish of their experience. And now we're finding many guests are traveling on business and never um, has it been more important to have a very strong Wi-Fi network and to have options for our guests. Because many guests are now traveling, uh, not only for work, but they're adding in their leisure time and they might be taking conference calls from their guest rooms. So we need to be able to support that and to be able to add to our guest satisfaction. 
That's really interesting because I mentioned that in the in the introduction that uh, you know the hybrid world is not only about what happens in the office, right? You're 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 on the Las Vegas Strip and you're you're really dealing with and accommodating hybrid work. It sounds like. We absolutely are, and you know, our location's right across from the convention center, so we're very fortunate to be able to have that volume of convention business. In this last year, we've really seen the return to business uh, in, in our marketplace and, and the movement into that convention-style business, individual travelers. It's exciting to see that business coming back to the city, um, whereas during COVID, it really lagged because travel was so hindered. Um, but now guests are coming and they may bring their families with them. And so their interests are, are much more varied than just focused on, on a business experience. And, and that's why it's so important for us to really have that a very strong network to carry that. In addition, our property is a gaming property as well. And we've got some of the first ever technology that's in our property. Um, we are a cashless property. Our casino is the first casino to have cashless um, enablement. And what does that mean? That means a guest can come in with their Gentium rewards and they can sit down at a slot machine and they can play and they have a digital wallet in their phone. So their membership is in their phone. It's not a card anymore. So the slot machine will load their, their earnings, their winnings into their digital wallet. They can move from there and go to a table game and then they can use their digital wallet at the table game without ever having to have cash uh, change hands. So it, it is a different experience. In addition, we were really thrilled to be able to launch last year the first ever gaming membership loyalty where you can register fully online without having to go to a cashier cage or to a kiosk. And uh, we have a partnership um, that enables us to do ID verification uh, in order to be able to register for our gaming program. So very excited about those kinds of developments and to be able to use our environment as that, that test bed for new technology that's coming out in the market. So Janie thought she had to create an experience for people returning to an office. You've got uh, you've got something going on there. <laughs> so thanks very much for that, Shannon. And we'll check back in and the roundtable discussion. And we're going to now jump to a, another brief uh, sponsor video and be right back. Confidence is at the heart of everything we do at Carrier. Our systems fill buildings and homes with healthy, clean air. We detect and put out fires and help people stay safe and secure inside. Our innovations keep foods and life-saving medicines cold and fresh until they reach those who need them. At Carrier, we create solutions to help you build a brighter future. Inspiring confidence. Carrier. All right. Thanks to Carrier. And they have also graciously uh, provided a, uh, a a panelist for us uh, from the uh, decision maker and user community. And Adam, why don't you introduce yourself and your role? And we'll talk about some things that are on your mind mid-year course correction. Hi, Tom. And, and thanks for the invitation today. I'm Adam Burstow, and I'm responsible for business development for Amazon Web Services across EMEA. My background is in uh, real estate and construction, have various roles in the industry, most recently, for example, as CIO for a global real estate company. Um, 
and my kind of day job at the moment is working with my customers across EMEA, so across different asset classes and different geographies, working with real estate investors and developers, architects, engineers, construction companies and, and material manufacturers, and also with um, the software and technology vendors that support them. Great to be here today. Wow. And so, Adam, what what um, uh, maybe uh, compared to late last year, now that we're in mid-year here, what what are you uh, what are you putting together for either either solutions or hearing that is needed uh, that is that is causing some some change in this mid-year? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll um, I'll mention a few specifics in a minute, but in terms of overarching themes. Um, I was really struck how many of um, my fellow panelists have mentioned the customer. Uh, we don't talk about buildings in these conversations now. We talk about customers. Um, and obviously at um, Amazon, that's that's very much how we think about the world. So um, in that context, I'm really seeing two key dominant themes. One is a, a, a willingness, yeah, recognizing that the um, the capital constraints, a willingness to experiment and tune, um, not necessarily make heavy investments initially, but then secondly, having identified the right approach and solution, then a willingness to scale and scale quickly. A recognition, Tom, you mentioned earlier the fragmentation of the industry. So a desire to scale quickly, to not invest in um, different technologies to do the same thing, but to come to scale solutions that work across the portfolios of activities. So, I mean, we will talk about some of this in more detail later, but just to give you a feel for it, on the investment side, for example, making um, better use of existing data for looking at investment opportunities. Which ones did we pass on previously? Which ones did we um, go with? What were the outcomes on that? How can we make better use of that data to train a machine learning model to look at new investment opportunities? On the customer side, um, uh, just mentioned cashless. Uh, yeah, so for example, we have technologies that we're looking to bring into the industry, such as um, the Just Walk Out technologies that support the Amazon Go store format, um, or embedding Alexa. We're working with Kony to do that within elevators. So we're bringing in technologies from other sectors through to um, technologies around customer experience, about improving customer relationship management systems. And then um, Going beyond that, thinking more about not just healthy buildings, but how from a, um, a human centric perspective, buildings can be safer and more secure. So we're seeing a, a, a host of specific investments, but two trends, two trends. One, think more um, in more detail, um, spend more time experimenting and tuning. But then when you, you do decide to invest, then scale uh, and then apply, yeah, pull that data together into um, data and analytics platforms and apply tools such as AI and machine learning to make better use of that data. You said something uh, I think really near and dear to a lot of us old timers hearts and that's the use of existing data. I mean it's yep. all sitting there and are, are you referring also to include all of the data in the building systems in the physical building that is sitting there that can provide insights? Well exactly and um, you know, you see various statistics about the percentage of data that isn't used. Um, and if you go from structured data within building management systems or property management systems, that's relatively low percent. But if you look at the data used from, I don't know, video feeds, for example, almost none of that data is used. How can you bring all of that um, existing and new data together? And this is 
uh, uh, this is yeah this theme I see scaling across um, domains. So uh, I see investments in four areas. One is about um, the investment cycle. Second is developments. Third is the operations and, and customer services. And then fourth is understanding carbon. All of those have available data sets which aren't joined up often. And so joining them up within those domains and then across those domains is a very active area for many of the customers I speak with. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks for those thoughts. And and really, in some ways, that's the everything you said is sort of a foundational mindset for a smart building to get to the outcomes. You know, a lot of times people think you just keep piling widgets on top and no, you've got lots of data, uh, some some insights and a little bit of a sophistication can go a long way financially uh to getting to getting those outcomes so thank you for that and by the way i'm i'm still stuck on alexa in the coney elevator but i'll <laughs> I'll, be, I'll i'm anxious to see that <laughs> yeah uh, talk to you soon uh we're gonna thank do uh one last uh brief sponsor video to make a difference that's our calling at Michael Baker International. Our work is more than a highway overpass, an airport runway, or a bridge. It's more than a transit station or a water treatment plant. Our work connects people and drives our communities forward. Our work turns ideas into reality and transforms how we live. It all began as a spark, an idea. There's a better world out there and we will create it. Today. We are the designers, the planners, the engineers, the architects, and the innovators. Bold enough to dream the impossible, dedicated to making a difference. Stronger together. We've built a legacy of excellence that's brought us to the forefront of our industry. And we're not stopping there. We are problem solvers, working globally to create a safer, more accessible, more sustainable tomorrow. We make a difference for our clients, our communities, and one another. Okay, and speaking of OGs, I've got another one with Fred Gordy with Michael Baker. And Fred, tell us your role and job title and what, what you're hearing and experiencing mid-year. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. A uh, little bit of background. I began my career in IT. And about 23 years ago, I moved into the building control space. And for the past 23 years, I've worked either in a capacity as an integrator uh, I had the fortunate, uh, I was very fortunate to work with Tom for a few years and now being at Michael Baker, uh, this now is kind of a full circle move in the fact that I'm working with the designers, the planners, the people that are building buildings, but also uh, inside of Michael Baker, there's a group called the Sustainable and Resilient Solutions Group. And I'm the director of cybersecurity for the SRS group. and. Uh, this group is made up of MEP, structural engineering, telecommunication, core cybersecurity, and fire protection. And our goal and our whole uh, direction that we we say in the video is making a difference. And um, you know, when when I made the move to come over to Michael Baker, 
this group was in the plannings, but it came about, I think, very timely in the fact that it happened at the beginning of this year is when we established the SRS group. And as it's, the name says, it's about sustainable and resilient solutions. So we've seen a change uh, from people putting shovels in the ground to you know taking the assets that they have available to them and make them more efficient, make them more um, uh, sustainable. But also, too, a little bit more uh, of my background, I've also spent the past four four or five years working for standards for cybersecurity for building control solutions, because as most of you know, you know, that's something that we really haven't had. There's been IT standards, there's been uh, ICS standards, industrial control systems. And so, uh, and as of recently, I joined ISA, the International Society Automation, ISA 99 Committee, committee as uh, a technical working group member and we're trying to drive the change into our our um in into the building smart building community to be safe and secure and the thing is is you know one of the concerning things is with all the changes that have gone on um the bad guys like change because change usually generates some chaos and chaos is um and is an opportunity for them so Anyway, the bottom line is um, my goal and my role of being here today is, you know, to make sure that buildings are safe and secure for the occupants. And Fred, is that something you're hearing more about, or is it, uh, you know, sort of sadly still kind of quiet uh, on the on the customer side? Are your customers saying, "Hey, I hear you," or "I see this in the marketplace," and, and is that any different than it used to be? Well, the thing that I guess the biggest difference is, um, you know, the threat's always been there. The 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 difference or the 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 confusion has come in where okay, now people are aware of it and they're kind of clamoring to 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 find well, what is it that I do, and then not only do you have the threats from the uh, the bad guys, I I just saw yesterday that the SEC. Uh, had a new ruling come out that says that, you know, you're going to have to, um, if you're a publicly traded company, there are some guidelines and fines that go along with uh, not being compliant and continue, like they say in their, um, their this particular brief, is you have to show that you're doing assessments and you have to show that you're doing uh, asset management and so on and so forth. So, what my fear is when I see people try to reach out and clamor and and just jump on to whatever they can to think that they're doing the right thing, but they may be missing some uh, missing some things that they really need to cover. Yeah, and there's also this idea as we talk about hybrid work and and decarbonization and capitalized kind of things, uh, and 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 Adam mentioned uh, data and use of existing data that. That you're building on a house of cards, right? It all it all could be good, but it all if it's built on a on a on a rickety foundation, you could have a, more problems than not. I agree. And the thing is, is you know, uh, as you were saying a minute ago, uh, in and speaking with Adam, is talking about. Uh, I like what Adam said that a majority of the data goes unused, and um, there is a lot of information that these buildings have been generating for years. It can actually provide you not only from a um you know efficiency standpoint but also to to help 
you determine where your weaknesses are, where your gaps are, where you have um, holes in your security. So um, utilizing the correct data is where you're going to be able to uh, close some of those holes. Yeah, I appreciate that, Fred. And with that, why don't we bring the rest of the panel back on to uh, cover? And we really, we really teased out, you know, four or five topics that are in greater in intensity uh, mid-year than they were. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit, if you guys don't mind, because I want to go uh, back to probably the least fun one, which is the capital constraints. And I wanted to a question I wanted to ask Joe with all the news of valuation impact. Is that just your pain, or is that uh, and and your and your peers, or is that actually does that impact uh, the occupiers? I mean, what what is the result of valuation and you know changes? Yeah. Um, thanks for calling me the least fun. Um, uh, it's not the <laughs> but, but a lot of fun uh, at the cocktail party, just not on capital issues. <laughs> the guy in the suit's always the least fun. Yeah. Um, the valuation is uh, it affects primarily, I think, the shareholders' the view on the market, what what we can uh, capitalize. The occupants themselves are fairly shielded from it. Uh, actually, they're one of the, the big drivers. Uh, one of the big things that impacts our valuation is how many tenants we have in the building. Um, we start to have lower lower ten lower um, less tenants in the building. Or if markets are driving rents lower and everything else, that affects the valuation of properties. And then there was a correction. Um, I think most people have have made uh, changes in their books to account for that correction, and uh, and we move forward. And uh, so far, so good. And then, like the the leasing environment in the office side of things, I think is started to pick up again in, in the cities we're in. And again, we're in Canadian cities, and, and I understand the U.S. environment's a little bit different. Um, but I think. It 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 shouldn't have any impact on the, the tenants whatsoever. And uh, and does it does it does it get into something uh, double click like a tenant improvement allowance? Does that change or is that still sort of a ratio? And how about how about that level? Because Eugenie's over there saying, yeah, rent is rent, but I got to do a lot of cool things to get my people back to work inside my space. Yeah, yeah, and then we're playing those games. We're we're competing. There is no doubt it's a more competitive market. So if we offer more things, either straight up from the base building, or we say, hey, your TI, we'll give you a bigger TI. And that's typically the way. The way as a landlord, we we like to approach it. Big TIs are great, but we still want that 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 market rent on the books. Um, we'll we'll eat the the capital up front. You typically again, capital uh, is more hard to come by, but. Uh, well, we'd rather have that uh, written up up front and then have that 15, 20, 10, 15, 20 year lease at a, at a market rate that, that is better for the uh, long term health of the building. And I know Janie's very sensitive, Joe, to that issue for your sake. But Eugenie, are you benefiting from that? Are you really finding that you're able to uh, make different types of arrangements for uh, you know, maybe even some base building things, but also things in tenant improvement and things that happen in your space? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I only get involved with the technology part. So they, um, you know, we have a whole real estate division that, uh, you know, are experts in this. Um, so I come in uh, to do the fun stuff, if you will. So yeah, but more, more, more opportunity for fun stuff when the deal's better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
That's mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, Mark, are you are you seeing this in in terms of your solutions that 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 um, or maybe I should ask you a question. I asked you about price earlier, but are you seeing that that there's a more robust solution discussion in in, in sort of mid year now, or is it is it you know more scrutinized and thus tighter? What, what's the uh, when you just say you've got a you've got a a blank slate. Are you able to do more on the solution side now, or does it really uh, get narrowed? Yeah, no. Uh, you have to, to be able to do more, plain and simple, because ultimately, the way buildings are operated and managed and managed today have changed. So, you solution providers like us and others on the call, we have to be able to meet those needs and those expectations. I mean, let's face it. You know. Who would have ever thought, what, 10 years ago, we really were talking about indoor air quality, as an example. We never talked about it 10 years ago. You know, certain things caused us to change that. So solutions have to adopt and adapt to these newer type things. Also respect, you know, like, for example, in that structured hybrid environment, being able to run a building based on true occupancy at any given point in the day is extremely important. Why run those systems all out when you only got a quarter of the people in the building and you, you know where they're at? Are they on the second, fifth, and sixth floor, not anywhere in between? So yes, to your point. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. And Shannon, uh, put, just putting aside for a second, sort of the gaming and that kind of experience stuff, Are you do you have a bunch of new normal uh, requirements for building systems, indoor air quality, uh, people, you know, sensing these kind of things. Is there, is there a whole new group of things that are now part of the new normal? Well, it's all about feedback from our guests. And, you know, when Mark's talking about air quality, air quality in a casino is extremely important because over the years, less people are smoking, but more people who are in the casino may tend to smoke part of the culture um, for many people. And we actually get comments that people like coming to our property because it, the air quality is excellent and it's clean. Even in our cigar bar, which you would anticipate you would go and you would leave at the end of the night smelling like cigars, it's not like that because we have the air coming in every 45 seconds to refresh the space. And you can't have that in a pre-existing hotel. Those are things that are built in with a thought of, of the future. And when we talk about setting temperatures, and I've got 3,506 rooms and suites here, I, you know, if I'm burning um, so much energy to keep all of those cool, whether they're occupied or not, you know, that's not very efficient. And again, um, we're a LEED certified building. Uh, being very energy efficient is extremely important to us, whether that's low flow toilets, showers, et cetera, but also the amount of energy that we're burning. And we put measures in place, especially in the summer when we've been over 110 degrees now for like 26 days, you know, closing the drapes during the day in order to protect the, the warmth that's getting into the rooms, um, setting the temperature low. Um, when the guest is in, once they've checked in and having our systems be able to talk to the room thermostats, when the guest checks out, the, the temperature goes back up so that we can be more efficient overall because the cost of energy is 
doubled when you look year over year pricing and that has a huge impact to our profitability. So th these are very important conversations and even when we're talking about the guest experience or employee experience, we all have to work together to make sure our doors are closed so that we're maintaining um, you know, the coolness of the property and not letting our, our energy escape. I like uh, that you, both you and Joe and, and, and similarly said, despite capital issues or economic issues, you've got to create a, a, an occupant experience uh, and differentiate. And that's, that's, that's pretty exciting to hear. And Adam, are you seeing, because of that, there are just more and more things, let's just say, for example, that AWS has got to accommodate uh, in terms of applications and solutions and sensors and data and these kind of things? Yeah, I mean, let me give you an example. Uh, um, in um, Dubai, the housing market is is still um, very active, and even in the last six months, we've seen a very significant trend in terms of the extension of visualization technologies into interactive or, or metaverse environments for sales. And that, it, you know, over a six-month period, um, the markets stepped strongly from more kind of um, just passive walkthroughs now to individual booked appointments where you go you step into a metaverse like environment for your new apartment the sales um lead steps in as well you tour the apartment together um working towards a sale at the end that's that's a you know essentially represents just the strong competition in terms of sales we can imagine that kind of technology moving into the office market or, or parallel technologies, and indeed, um, you know, one of my customers in the Middle East is now um, selling NFT versions of their apartments. They have brand associations where they're bringing in um, virtual jewelry, virtual clothing to sell within those apartments. Um, I and I wouldn't say that you can just lift and shift all of that technology into different asset classes or geographies, and that's one of the interesting challenges for us. But we work in closely, for example. Um, just a huge amount of activity for me personally with um, Epic Games with their Unreal Engine. It underlies the Fortnite gaming platform, but is used very extensively for visualization. NVIDIA, their um, hardware, but increasingly the NVIDIA Omni Omniverse capabilities. So visualization, uh, virtualization and metaverse environments is moving from the design and engineering stage into the occupancy stage. And I think each of the asset classes and geographies is um, either is or will be thinking about how to apply that to their own businesses. So the metaverse is still forming, Adam. The, yeah, rumors of the demise was uh, premature. Well, it's just it's a hugely active area, and you, yeah. If I if I sort of step slightly back and, and you know and consider, I'd like to think of myself as a technologist and urbanist. Um, you're increasingly can imagine individual buildings, places, cities having virtual manifestations of themselves. And I think individual asset owners um, need to be thinking about how they're going to play in that world. That's neat. And Fred, when we, we started this conversation with sort of, uh, you know, uh, valuation and financial and capital and these kind of things, uh, when it comes to resiliency, um, is are there financial limitations on that? How are you seeing the balance between resiliency and the cost of it? Like it's not, and pardon the crude analogy, but it could be almost like insurance. Like you can always buy more insurance, but at some point, you know, how do you see the balance? 
Well, the balance is always difficult, as you know. Um, you know, I, I want to give you for an example is especially if you're dealing with existing buildings and especially dealing with architecture uh, or excuse me, the, the control systems that have been there for 40 years and you don't know what's there. Um, just the sheer magnitude that it takes to figure out what's in your building, if you haven't done that in some time, is uh, can be quite substantial. There are technologies like um, if you're familiar with LIDAR, which is light detection and ranging, is being able to take something. Here's an example. Uh, we did a, um, we, there was some changes that needed to go on in, at Atlanta Airport. I'm sure most everybody here has probably gone through Atlanta and the number of concourses that it has. In the old days, being able to do that would have taken, you know, months just to gather the data. And with LIDAR technology, we were able to take two guys and do all of the concourses 100 miles of the roads on the outside in less than two weeks. So the reason I bring that up is when it comes time to try to make determinations of what you're going to do uh, to what extent you're going to do it, um, you really need to take a look at um, the cost versus the value gained from what it is that you're going to do, right? So um, sometimes you just have to leave some of those assets as is. No, that's so you're it's really case by case. I mean, so you've mm -hmm. just got to you've got to look at the, at the situation and then you've got to figure out again, the insurance analogy, like how safe can I afford to be or do I want to do I want to make it that way? Right. Right. And, you know, this is a conversation I have all the time. It's like just with the cyber security aspect of it is you can cyber secure yourself out of business. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big proponent for cybersecurity, but I'm a big proponent for right size cybersecurity. So knowing what, knowing what your risks are and what the um, uh, impact would be is key to, it doesn't matter if it's cyber or if you're, you're trying to redevelop something, you got to yeah. know that before you get started. No, that's good. And, that, and by the way, just for the audience, that 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 whole conversation we just had around the horn was really, you know, stemming from capital affordability, the economy, where we are. So I hope, hope that was helpful. I want to transition to uh, back to ES, or decarbonization, net zero, ESG. I know they're all varying terms, but Joe, um, I've seen you speak on this a lot, and it's it's really, uh, I think you guys have a great balance here. And I wonder if you could. Uh, speak a little bit to sort of the balance between your company's commitment uh, as a you know as a brand commitment or as a, as a corporate commitment, uh, and then um, against the value uh, uh, to to tenants. Yeah. So uh, on the decarbonized issue, decarbonization issue, which is really the core as a mechanical guy, that's, that's what I want to solve from the ESG perspective to help hit some of our, our bigger ESG and energy goals. Um, we had to take a fundamental shift. ESG in the past has been, hey, let's switch, switch, some, switch some light bulbs. Let's pay back on that. Oh, less than five years. Okay, your capital is approved. Decarbonization and deep retrofits, electrification, all that stuff is not the same uh, mindset. Uh, we, we've taken, and, and there's a tool on our webpage, you can look at it. I, I use the term tool loosely. It's a, um, it's a, a I cleaned up um, about 20 minutes. Recipe. Yeah. Uh, so it has, um, 
essentially how we build out the business case internally. And we had to take a longer view of things and said, okay, especially on office, a lot of the capital we spend is recoverable. So uh, business as usual approach, what's that going to look like with uh, whatever assumptions your, your company's making? We have some carbon tax assumptions. We have some, you know, if we don't do this, we said we we're going to be zero carbon. What are our offsets going to cost us? And build out that case of, hey, this is what it's going to cost me and ultimately my tenants over the life, over the next 10, 20 years, whatever, whatever lifespan you want, or all the way up to 2050 if that's your zero carbon goal. And what does it look like if you take the approach to go zero carbon? Um, and when does that trigger? Look at your capital trigger zones and move it out. And, and we, we managed to build out cases where our tenants are building or get a zero carbon building and they will be paying less than they would be uh, with business as usual. There's an upfront capital component that we have to figure out and there are programs in place that you can do that, but but I, we've sold it internally as a win. If we can make a building that costs the same to operate um, when you're talking about recovering capital and, and uh, ongoing operational costs, that's a pass through to the tenant and, and being first in class or first in market gives you opportunities to market that, maybe get a higher rental maybe land that tenant that you wouldn't have otherwise landed in the market. So, so the upside, uh, the risks associated with doing nothing, spending a lot of money and putting in a piece of equipment that's going to be obsolete, uh, that you're going to, going to have to replace it with your goals is the business case. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting uh, thing you just said there that I think maybe under discussed. You're saying, if I heard you correctly, that, that you spend more on a building. So you have a higher you know, cost of carrying that capital. Uh, but that's offset, no pun intended, uh, by a lower operating cost building, and then your net gain is is the tenant and the rent rate. Yeah, yeah, the whole upside, yeah. Um, and, and I think everybody needs to get there. So if I put in a boiler next year, spend a million bucks on it, and my goal is to have that building zero carbon by 2030, I'm ripping that out in five years. So I write that off, and then instead of spending an extra million bucks to put in that zero carbon solution. I have a, a half million dollar write-off and I'm spending two million bucks because I, I, I spent money on the wrong thing up front. You need to start looking at these things long-term. Where are you, where do you need, what's, if the end game is zero, there's a lot of things you need to do to get to zero and let's not take incremental incremental steps that takes you down the wrong path. Yeah, and the other, the other thing you, you, you mentioned is that, um, you know, we're, this is, um, uh, people have made commitments, uh, whether it's tenants or, or landlords or investors, and and I said in the opening, the clock is ticking, right? So you, if you if you meant it, uh, or if you have regulatory constraints, and that's again, folks, why we're talking about this as a mid-year course correction, because uh, increasing regulations and corporate commitments, are, you know, are kind of converging. All of a sudden, and Eugenie, to that point, do you scrutinize buildings do, from a technology perspective? Because you you have your own uh, you know ESG type commitments and decarbonization. Does it? Do you have to look at your technology going into a building, thinking I've got I'm got to get there, and will the building allow me to do this? Do you do you have any filters for for buildings? I know it's not building selection is not your area, but when you think about your solutions or your decarbonization approach. Yeah, so as a large organization, there is a whole effort around um, uh, sustainability and ESG. So there's a lot of work happening with scope one, scope two, scope three, as an example. And so when we do our technology work, uh, we are always looking to see how we can fit into the overall corporate strategy around sustainability and ESG. It's always um, it is one of the top priorities of our organization. 
Um, so while there might be a host of um, goals that we are trying to accomplish, um, ESG and sustainability is, is always a constant. So how can we you know, uh, provide that benefit with the technologies that we're rolling out? Yeah, that's and and Shannon, you have a, a challenge in that you have such a diverse property and so many things going on there. But how how do you guys deal with uh, sustainability in general, but also then financially? How do you look at it? Well, I'm as well. We do have a director of sustainability, and that's all they focus on every single day because we also have a central plant here. We do our own heating and cooling. So there's a lot of decisions that are made, even when we source our our um, energy um, that fuels our turbines on the open market so that we can try to purchase when when it's down instead of buying it at peak pricing all of that goes into the strategy that we have and it's a full-time focus and again my focus is more the operate operationalization of the property not necessarily the esg or the mechanical functionality. However, there's 5,500 people that work on this property and we all have to work together in order to support that. Because if we have an initiative and the majority of the team is not aware, not educated and not supporting, then the, the focus will fail. So it takes everybody focused. And again, in Las Vegas, we're always seen as that location that's excess with the neon lights and, you know, water, you know, is a huge concern for us in our community. And again, so all of water that goes through our taps um, goes back into the 100% uh, of it goes back into the groundwater here in the Las Vegas Strip. The only leakage would be for any property that has fountains or golf courses, which you get the evaporation. But otherwise, it's it's amazing to know that the Las Vegas Strip is so responsible and so focused because, again, that's a natural resource that we don't have a lot of. So there's a lot of conversion of grass that's going to desert landscaping in order to cut down on the usage. And what scale? I mean, Mark, 5,500 people working, that's more than work at Peatock Farms, I think. And uh, do, do people ask you, Mark, about, your, about solutions because of decarbonization specifically? I mean, are they Absol saying? Absolutely, especially on be able to connect and get the data. And so somebody can analyze the data and be able to command and control the various pieces of equipment, Joe mentioned a boiler or so forth and so on. And also, you know, it's interesting is that, you know, we as an industry have talked about components of ESG now for a long time. Remember, you know, going back, it was energy, energy efficiency, whatever. Obviously, the drivers as I see it for ESG are completely different now. Again, it's not the technology, technology is here. It is more about the expectation that owners and operators have to be responsible and have responsible behavior the way they operate and manage their building. Shannon and Eugenie both have given really some good examples. Equally, you know, a new area that we're seeing that is an extension of the building operating platform are EV charging stations, which fill, would feed right into ESG in that those now, uh, especially Class A office buildings, premier resorts like Shannon's and uh, sustainable companies like uh, Merck, uh, you know, th they've got to be there. And we're not talking one or two charging stations. We're talking 10, 20 
several that have to take into account when they're on, when uh, uh, can you take advantage of lower peak demand on those charging stations, so forth and so on. So all of this feeds into the new ESG talk, if you will. I, I think so. And, and Adam, is that is that just a ton more uh, yeah. data and analytics that need to be, yeah, I mean, it could be as simple as reporting and as complex as, as analyzing and Yeah, dialing. I mean, look, it, it prompts so many thoughts, but just a few very quickly. Um, we, Amazon, expect to have 100,000 electric vehicles by 2030. And we've developed solutions to manage, as, as Mark says, to manage the complex charging requirements across all of that. And, and, and in classic AWS way, we now provide that as a service for others. So um, th these these themes drive um, investment and activity. Another big theme I'm seeing in the last um, six months in particular is yeah, absolutely the story starts with carbon and um, yeah improving uh, energy efficiency and control systems but i'm i'm seeing very strongly now that's being broadened out into a, a natural 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 environment impact uh, or indeed positive benefits so it's not just carbon it's not just esg it's uh, the entire natural environment sort of as as shannon was um, describing um with regard to water for example um and then the third thing uh, there's there's quite a, a, a well-known um, uh, planning approval case going through in the UK at the moment, um, and people that object to a particular scheme are quoting the volume of embodied carbon in the building that will be lost if it's demolished and replaced with a new one. And so um, uh, certainly a number of our real estate uh, investor customers are developing the carbon life cycle profiles for individual assets within the portfolio and then thinking about how they can model that across the portfolio and then as they look to buy new assets what impact does that have on their um, carbon portfolio as they embark on development schemes how can they optimize that how can they optimize carbon timing if you like between different investment projects so we've got this sort of traditional if you like pro, um, portfolios of investment development and operations, but carbon is increasingly, and the, the uh, behavior of the carbon portfolio is becoming in, increasingly important for real estate investors and developers to model, and, and we're seeing um, different approaches to that, but it's an active area. Yeah, incredibly. Great thoughts, and, and, and it, get, it does get very sophisticated. And Fred, if, if there's any hope of net zero in a building, you've got to be hyper-connected, right? So I'm, I want to just touch briefly, if you could, on the the resiliency requirement, but not just for operational interruption, but if you think you're on a path to net zero, you're going to need, you know, many, many data points and connections, right? Yes. And, you know, when I've, in the years that I've been doing cybersecurity, I've kind of changed my tune, if you will, a little bit is, um, you know, at the end of the day, what cybersecurity is about is reacting to an event doesn't matter what the event is. It could be a piece of equipment failure, it could be human error, it could be somebody attacked in the building. So having planned reactions to events is gonna make you much more efficient. It's gonna make your system stay up more. So the byproduct of doing any kind of cyber evaluation is you're gonna create better resilient systems. Um, but in order to be able to do some of the things that we've all talked about today, like you said, Tom, hyperconnectivity, 
these devices have got to be connected and talking and passing information to each other. But we can't do like we used to do. And I'm point the finger at myself because I was the integrator that helped create this mess back in the day. Go ahead, it, Fred. The group is listening. <laughs> but I mean, see, you know, in the early days of doing this and, you know, Mark and I have had this conversation plenty of times. I mean, there just wasn't any kind of guidance. It's each integrator did its own thing. And uh, pretty much we were all pushing, pushing, pushing towards open, open, open to get these systems to be able to talk to each other. So I sell that to wrap up with this is when you are either evaluating existing systems or you're putting in new systems is by putting in these processes, reactive processes in place, planned reactions, you are going to improve the efficiency of your system should they're going to stay up and maintainable and your data is going to be able to be shared securely. Yep, that's great. Tom, and I'm, go ahead. Tom, Mark, just a quick comment on ESG. One of the under uh, uh, value points that I believe is not communicated well is that a way a company approaches ESG today is part of their brand. And ESG really is a contributor to a company's brand, not only to the employees that work at a company or the occupants that inhabit, but also think about everybody's in business to sell something. So whether I'm going to the grocery store and I'm gonna get a certain kind of mayonnaise or mustard, I'm going to take into account that the, the said manufacturer is being uh, socially responsible for in and, in and around ESG. And so I think that is one of value point that everybody needs to consider it's part of that a company's brand appreciate that and i'm, I'm panelists i'm gonna uh, ask joe a question and then but while i'm doing that if you would just think about a very brief closing comment you would have on the mid-year course corrections and just it's a little bit like your introduction but just leave a parting quick parting thought with the audience but joe is going to ask you that are you uh, wrestling yet with uh, regulatory requirements for either reporting or energy or carbon per square foot? Um, regulatory requirements for reporting, uh, we report voluntarily. We're private. Um, we like to, we like to be open uh, with, with uh, all of our investors. So, so we report to grants. We, we do that kind of thing. Um, uh, sorry, what was the second half of the question? Yeah, just, uh, just regulatory requirements and really just the uh, the idea of, um, uh, like you, you alluded to, being transparent. But it, it's, uh, and I know in, in several U.S. cities, uh, you know, the, the clock is ticking on both uh, reporting, but also in uh, energy or carbon per square foot with fines. Uh, so it's, it's a different, it's a different imperative. Yeah, yeah. The energy or carbon per square foot uh, metric, I think, is, is a baseline that's, it's, got some fundamental flaws with it. Um, uh, it was another session last night where they started looking at two, two separate buildings and the way they report on monthly data. And number one, you're not, it's not real carbon per uh, foot if you're, if you're using the, this example with the state of New York. And if you're on the northern, northern part of New York's uh, grid, it's super clean. The southern part's not so much. Um, but uh, you start to get hidden on things like uh, where we're developing a property that uh, is supposed to be um, affordable housing. 
the units are slightly smaller um, in some cases. Uh, we actually designed it in a couple of different ways. We, we went from multi-unit suites and then we put more single unit suites in the exact same building, the exact same uh, envelope uh, didn't uh, perform considerably worse depending on how we laid out the suites because you have more people in there and you have more ovens and things like that. So yeah, I think it's a difficult one. Um, and I think it is like, I, I'm doing a zero carbon retrofit on a 1929 hotel in downtown Toronto right now. It doesn't meet any of the metrics. There's no good baseline for a hotel built in 1929. Um, that's a heritage building that I can't just go and, you know, slap some EPIS on the outside and, and get a better R value. Uh, so, so I, struggling, definitely working, trying to work with the regulatory authorities to, to set targets that make sense. Um, I hate to go into regulations and say, oh, make a carve out for this and make a carve out for this. But, but there are definitely some situations where, where it, it needs well, to change. I think you're right. And just one quick example, and then we'll go around the horn. And that was, uh, I remember uh, a national government used to have a measure in BTUs per square foot. Um, but that, as you were saying, they, they would take a million square foot of real estate and then uh, put all those same functions into 300,000 square feet. So their BTU per square foot went up, but their whole impact went way down. Uh, you know, and so it was like, wait a minute, you're not, you're not, you're not accounting for, I just gave up 600,000 square feet uh, of use. So uh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, they inherently reward people with lower occupant density. Like this office here, where everybody has a, their own office, we do great. Is that the best most environmentally way, friendly way to use an office versus having more people in it. I, I would argue probably not, but uh, but the, the metrics are what they are at this point. And I think they'll work themselves out over time. As we get more data and more real-time data, I think we can fix some of those problems and, and, and layer in things like occupancy uh, densities and whatnot to, to the metrics. Yep, I appreciate that. And so just again, just a one thought uh, panelist and we'll just go around the horn here. Uh, Mark, starting with you on your mid-year course correction. Got it. So I, I would leave everybody with this is that it, uh, this course correction, it's not about the lack of technologies and solutions. Instead, it's the lack or a person's desire, willingness not to be prepared and take advantage of it. Great, Adam. I think um, for that quote, but the the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed, and much much of um, much of everyone on this call, much of their technology futures are already there in specific pockets or activities in specific bits of their portfolio. And so, if there was a single message, it's about scaling. How can you systemically scale that across your um, dozens or hundreds or, or thousand buildings to achieve the biggest impact. It's not just about a positive outcome, but it's about that the size of that outcome and the impact it can have on the overall um, out objective, be that carbon reduction or the improvement of customer experience. Yeah, great. You, Janie. Yeah, um, I just want to say that, um, you know, <laughs> we have such a diverse panel here in terms of not only the kind of work we do, but also the organizations that we work for. And I'm really impressed that I heard so many common themes um, that resonated with me. So whether it was the whole discussion around ESG and sustainability, the focus on outcomes, um, doing more with existing data and technology that really resonated with me. Um, yeah, so, um, 
for us, it's, uh, as I mentioned, hybrid work is really in focus right now. So it's not so much course correction, but it's really about um, really laser being laser, laser focused on use of technology as one of the tools to help that um, new return back to the office um, uh, make that transition smoother. Uh, also want to mention that as we are doing that, uh, there is also uh, we're keeping an eye on on emerging new technologies. So whether it is you know AI and ML and ChatGPT, that's ChatGPT has been taken over um, you know the, the world, if you will, and it's changing uh, a lot of different industries. And so certainly, I think there is a massive potential in the work that we do. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, we want to be cautious and not jump into it without having thought of all the repercussions. But certainly um, those emerging technologies are of huge interest to us and in how it changes our work going forward. Yeah, I agree. Shannon? Well, I have to say that we have a very exciting six months ahead for us as we ramp up for the Formula One race in November and the first ever Super Bowl in February. And technology will play such a huge part in that for us, for our property, keeping people safe, making sure that we provide the best experience for our guests. And again, we're never going to stop looking to see what else is out there to better the experience and continue to evolve for hospitality. And Fred Shannon may be working at the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce soon with that one. What are your thoughts, Fred? So technology is a good thing, but technology is not going to be the only thing that solves the problem. It's you got to make sure that the people that are using the technology understand why they are doing it and why it's important. Thank you. And Joe? Um, I, I just, I, I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be in real estate uh, with a rapid um, the change that is happening right now, like uh, the implementation rate of things that uh, that makes sense is, is faster than I've ever seen it. Um, the rate of change um, in the ESG field uh, and, and technology field is, is phenomenal. And uh, it's a lot of work to figure out what the right solution is and right what how to figure out how, how to implement it within your organization. But but if you put in the work, I think the opportunities are there and, uh, and it's, it's fun. Uh, well, thanks, Joe. And just a, a super brief summary, Chuck, I'll hand it back to you that starting from their uh, opening uh, thoughts, uh, hybrid work, of course, is the 800-pound gorilla that everybody's dealing with. And in mid-year, it's really picked up a lot of steam in many different ways. Uh, decarbonization, as Joe was saying, it, 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 it's ever-present. Uh, for everybody actually on this call. And then uh, it, portfolio insights, data and resiliency kind of foundational things. And the final thing I'll add is what Mark said and, 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 and Joe just said also is that, you know, change itself. Uh, we've, that's a cliche over all the years, but wow, uh, you know, mid-year 2023, uh, I, think, I think that's uh, pretty evident. So Chuck, back to you, thank you. I, I think you guys did, did fantastic. I, I, I did hear some of those same overriding themes the idea of this uh, uh, defined return on investment, that was a pretty strong, as well as increased uh, NOI outcomes, uh, tenant experience, uh, and the, the ability for scalability. So if I was thinking of an overall name or something to, to quantify the theme, it almost sounds like back to business basics, maybe even back to basics using advanced technology. Uh, and and I like the basic and the advanced in the same term, but it, it, it's interesting how the shift is transitioning towards efficiency, 
an outcome. So I just, I, it's a fantastic conversation. So I really do. We should do it again. We should, we should do the same thing again at the end of the year, Chuck, another six months will have passed and, and we can play some highlights here and we'll all meet at Shannon's cigar bar to do the next. Yeah, day. there you go. I love it. I love the idea. Shannon, uh, congratulations too on the golden Knights Stanley cup. That was awesome to see the parade out there. So for all of us that, that were enjoying that, it's quite a crowd out there. I don't me and me and about, 250,000 other people out there in the street. So it was pretty awesome. Uh, thank you again to our panelists and our and just valuable contributions to today's session. And special thanks to all of our technology partners and sponsors for making these educational opportunities available to our Realcom followers. And whether you've joined us live or you're watching this as a recording, thank you for tuning in. And be sure to register for our two-part series in August. This is gonna be special. It's, it's a whole new thing that we haven't done before. This is celebrating women and diverse voices in commercial real estate where you'll, you'll get to hear really a wide range of really diverse perspectives and, and really in some cases they're superhero origin stories from several outstanding industry leaders, technologists, engineers, and data scientists in our commercial real estate community. And that's one thing we find is common across Realcom, we mentioned if you hadn't gone, you, you really should uh, take advantage of these opportunities. It becomes a community just like this and we can share and interact and people will uh, answer your emails and actually answer your phone messages when you call them, when you get a chance to develop that kind of relationship. So we love it and we love all of our participants. So anyway, that's it for us. Uh, again, thanks again and uh, be safe and we'll see you next month. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks all.